Equip Conference, how are you guys doing? Awesome, awesome. Now, I originally heard that it was going to be a whole lot warmer, so I kind of dressed thinking it was going to be a little bit warmer, and I think I saw some snow flurries. I have this philosophy to hold it against me. I think snow is only mentioned in the Bible 20 times. I know these books keep jumping off. Snow is only mentioned in the Bible 20 times, and 17 of them are metaphorical. So I'm just kind of thinking, I don't know how much snow is really supposed to be a part of our regular lives, but you guys, seriously, you guys are a serious breed of believers to endure that kind of cold, but that's because you've got the fire of God inside of you. I, first of all, I just want to thank Mark Dean. He has been a longtime friend. We're in our third decade of knowing each other. He is such a precious man of God. I feel, and and this is not just uh, patronizing, I feel a little bit closer to Jesus when I get around Mark. And those of you that know him, you would say the same of Mark and Barb. They are amazing. We just give them an amazing hand. Mark, we love you, bro. Thanks so much. John, that introduction, your energy, your life, bro. If I'm in the area, I want to be at your church, man, just coming and sit and hearing you preach. It was amazing. I just want to begin right here at this point. Uh, my wife and I were from California, and uh, I gave my life to Jesus Christ, and, and the pastors here last night heard my testimony. But here is the principle of my in- moment with Jesus. One encounter changes everything. One of the things that hell significantly underrates is what one encounter, one flash point with heaven and how that could radically revolutionize your life, how one minute, whatever it is you were before, you have Jesus show up, and when Jesus shows up, all bets are off. Doesn't matter how you came up. Doesn't matter the pain that was in your early childhood. Come on, the addictions you may have had, the bad decisions you made. One encounter with Jesus flips the script. And all of a sudden, you're called to a higher storyline of God's narrative. And I'm convinced, I'm just going to say this right from the outset. You'll hear it early and often. Folks, we're in the midst of a move of God right now. I don't know if you realize that. I've served the Lord, I'm not bragging, I know there are people here that have served the Lord maybe longer than I've been alive, right? But I've served the Lord now for three, a better part of three decades, and I don't know that I've ever seen what I'm seeing now. My wife and I, my wife, Krista, she will be bringing the word tonight, you do not want to miss it. Uh, She's the better preacher in the Smith household, and she's going to throw down, it's going to be amazing. But I don't know that I've ever seen what I'm seeing right now. The level of hunger, first of all. The, 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 the people that are coming to worship, the people that are coming to church, the level of hunger. We get a chance to work with young adults often and are invited to speak. I've never seen young adults. Obviously, the attack on them is at unprecedented levels. But I'm also seeing a hunger that's reminiscent, although I wasn't really like in a position to really notice it, but I've read up on it. It's kind of reminiscent of what happened during the Jesus People movement. And I wouldn't be surprised if we're not on the brink of a new Jesus People movement. I've seen some of the most amazing testimonies, conversions. My wife and I have seen some of the most amazing healings. My wife and I were in Miami, and there was a guy that kind of does like a, uh, I guess it would be like a dream center, uh, outreach in the Miami area. We're at a great friend of mine, a spiritual hero of mine's church. And as we were there, he shared with us that this gentleman had uh, a, a Lou Gehrig's disease, in which the medical community says that's a, a, a death sentence. Uh, my wife and I, my wife prophesied over him. We prayed for healing. 
And literally three days later, he's at the doctor, and the doctor is saying, we don't understand this. We don't know what has happened. You no longer have Lou Gehrig's disease. Come on, somebody. I think we need to clap a little louder and make the devil mad on that one. I'm convinced that we are going to live to see a billion soul harvest in the earth. I know what you're thinking. You're saying, Sean, do you live in the world I live in? Are you watching the news? Are you listening to current events? And this is my observation. I've, I've written a book on revival. I am a student. I'm not an expert. I cover in my book about 40 different revivals, outpourings, awakenings, and reformers. When I was a baby Christian, I was impacted by two books on revival, ultimately three, the Bible. Hello, the Bible. But the two other books on revival is Why Revival Terries by Leonard Ravenhill. And a guy who's been a mentor in my life, Winky Prattney, wrote a book called Revival, Its Principles and Practices. But one of the things I've learned about revival, and this is where we begin this afternoon, is that great moves of God come after great seasons of disruption. So here's what I'm saying to you. We think that revival happens when a nation begins to ascend to a moral higher, higher ground and you begin to see this life and all this stuff break out amongst the church and there's a popularity of Christianity, the Bible, Jesus being the only way. And Can I answer that? Survey says, <laughs> never. If you have that going on, you already had revival. You don't need revival to come. You need to celebrate the revival already has come. Revivals, if there is a principle, if we're hunting revival and it is an animal that we're trying to capture, obviously it's not, and with all due respect to Holy Spirit's incredible move. But if we were trying to just study the distinct characteristics and how to bag the animal, here is the one thing I can tell you about revival. Revivals are most likely when they're least likely. My wife gave me an amen, so I'm going to say it one more time for her. Revival, boo, revivals are most likely when they're least likely. So revivals happen after great seasons of disruption. Whether that's the first great awakening, second great awakening, uh, the Cane Ridge revival, Azusa Street. Like, like there was a major earthquake in California and San Francisco. People were afraid. Many people came down to L.A. And the next thing you know, right, there's been wars. There's been uh, serious economical situations. So now let me back up and make this statement. If great or revivals happen after seasons of disruption, seasons of revival, have we ever seen a greater season of disruption than what we've come out of, hopefully, right about three years ago? Y'all heard about this little virus called COVID? Come on. Uh, came around March 17, 2020, and everything shut down. There, there, unless you're old enough to be around during the bubonic plague and black death, you have never lived through a disruption like we have seen. And we can add on a whole bunch of other stuff in addition to just the pandemic. And what I'm saying to you is, is it God to allow? Because what is the prerequisite for revival? It's not the disruption. The disruption brings about a desperation. And the desperation is the requisite. See, I think we thought we were doing good, like pre-COVID church. We filled pews. Our budgets looked nice. We had everything going on. And that's preferable versus the opposite. But can I say something? I think maybe the Lord might have looked at the North American church, and as we think we were doing good, I think the Lord felt he needed to blow some Laodicean dust off the North American church and get us back to attention, yes, sir, with a new sense of desperation 
that, God, we want to pursue you, your purposes. We want your spirit to impact our communities. And so now the question begs, what type of believer ought we to be on the brink of a new move of God? I want to talk about this. I'm going to give away a couple things. First of all, I talked about the book, I Am Your Sign. It's not obviously nothing to do with astrology. It was a whole incident about in Monterey, California. The Lord had me prophesy over a tarot card, psychic woman at a New Age bookstore. And I, the Lord told me to walk into to her and tell her, I am your sign. Can you imagine, right? People say, how would you know it was God? Because I don't walk up to women that I don't know and go, I am your sign, okay? <laughs> like, no. I won't tell you the whole story, but what it turned out to be is 24 hours earlier, she asked the cosmos, show me a sign. The very next day, I walk in the store being told of the Lord, not knowing her cry to a cosmos false God that the real God chose the answer. And I go, I am your sign. I end up in two other very specific pieces of information that nobody knew about. I lead her to the Lord at a Monterey. Anybody been to California? Monterey is new age capital. I lead her to the Lord. Holy Spirit leads her to the Lord. Let's be honest. She gets saved. The 20 people in line have to hear her, and she stands up and says, I'm not doing this anymore. I am a daughter of the Most High God. She goes to the counter, gets her last paycheck, quits, and goes to the church that I'm preaching at that night. Come on, somebody. John, I told you I'm going to be a 10, right? I mean, we were talking about Anyway. I'd share that story in here. I've got a book on about 40 different revivals, outpourings, awakenings, and reformers. Who would like this? I'd like to give it away right there in the second row, ma'am, right on the end. Give this to you. Come on, give her a hand. Woo! Come on down. Y'all don't know it. I just became the black Drew Carey right there, y'all. Price is right. He's got a new guy on there. Like Bob Barker's not that dude anymore. My most recent book, Prophetic Evangelism, I, I'm a bit biased. But I'm convinced of this as well, I'm using that word a lot, that the technology of the harvest future is going to be you and I becoming prophetic as opposed to programmatic. I got saved in Kaufa, and so I know how to do Romans Road, Steps to Peace in God, uh, Billy Grahams. I know uh, all the different four spiritual laws, Bill Bright, Bill and Vanilla Bright, bless their hearts, love that. But there's nothing like when you're able to walk up to someone and say, the man you're living with now is not your husband. And not to embarrass you, but just to show you've been looking for love in all the wrong places and too many faces, however that country song goes. The people, the guys you've been married with before, uh, they're not the guy. And the guy you're currently shacking up with is not the guy. True worshipers. And so in this, I talk about how to hear from God. God gave me a picture of how this is. As I put my heart, my head to the heart of Jesus I saw this picture of my head on the heart of Jesus and my fingers on like a high school combination lock of a generation. And as I heard the, the father's heart, he gave me the combination code and he said to me, I want you to begin to write. And I wrote this before I ever knew what it was. And so anyway, anybody wants to be used in a van? Oh my God, too many people. Second row right here, bro. I'm going to toss it. Are you a good catch? Awesome. You're a great catch. All right. Come on, give him a hand as well. If you will, let's dive right in it, and let's go right now to 2 Kings chapter 13. 2 Kings chapter 13, we're going to start reading at verse 14. If you don't have a Bible, it's all good, because I'm going to read it to you. And uh, again, I just want to thank you guys for coming out and being a part of a quick conference. 
This is the beginning of it. I'm trusting that God will meet us, and it's only going to get better from here. 2 Kings 13, verse 14. Elijah had become sick of the, with the illness of which he would die. Then Joash, king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face. He said, oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. And Elijah said to him, take a bow and some arrows. So he took himself a bow and some arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, put your hand on the bow. So he put his hand on it, and Elijah put his hand on the king's hand. Just key, Elijah places his hands on this guy, and specifically his hands. And he said, open the east window, and he opened it. Then Elijah said, shoot, and he shot. And he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance, the arrow of deliverance from Syria. Now catch this, for you must strike the Syrians at Aphek till you have destroyed them. This is the command. Check it out, gang. Then he said to him, take the arrow. So he took him, and he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. So he struck three times and stopped. Somebody say, uh-oh. Uh-oh, shouldn't have done that. And the man of God was angry with him. He said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Syria till you destroyed it. But now you will strike Syria only three times. Then Elijah died. They buried him in raiding bands from Moab, invaded the land in the spring of the year. So it was as they were burying a man that suddenly they spied a band of raiders and they put the man in the tomb of Elijah. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elijah, he revived, say revived, and stood on his feet. Revival. Revival is not just you and I getting goosebumps and us having a good meeting. And for the record, I'd rather have a good meeting rather than a bad meeting. Revival is not that I schedule, perhaps as a pastor, I schedule some extended meetings. If we really want to get technical, maybe we could call it, I'm really praying and believing revival will break out. But I believe that there's an aspect that's undeniable that when revival breaks out, it's not just that you had some extra services and not just that someone got goosebumps. It's not even that you got a little bit of fire. Come on, somebody. Because how many of you know you can get a little bit of fire? I've seen it. People get a little bit of fire. They walk out the door and lose that fire. Then that tells me you didn't have fire. You got a hot flash. Come on, somebody. I mean, you, fire ought to be sustainable. That I really believe revival marks you in a way and it can't be relegated to a church meeting. It's got to be something if it doesn't leave the double doors and it's just proof it wasn't revival. And I think what we have to do to begin with is we have to get the proper nomenclature. In other words, what the enemy does is he reduces the currency of revival by getting us to think the wrong things are revival. So what we've done is we move a goalpost towards something that's emotionally based rather than something that's transformative in the community around us. I'm going to amen myself. Come on, Sean Priest. That's a good word right there. <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm not that arrogant. Revival is when the experience, let me rephrase that. Yes, revival is when the experience of heaven becomes the reality of people. When the, the experience of heaven becomes our reality and a lifestyle, it looks like Book of Acts. So many people were saying during the pandemic, man, I just want to get back to normal. I want to get back to normal. And obviously, if normal is not wearing masks and not worry about six feet social distancing and everybody giving the shame stare down for the person coughing in the 11th aisle over at Home Depot, right? Then I did want to get back to that normal. But I have a sneaky suspicion that there were some church people that said, I want to just get back to the way church was pre-COVID, March 17, 2020. And I just want to say lovingly, God loves you too much to let you go back to that. 
unless what you had before, people was getting saved, people were getting delivered, massive number of people in your community was coming to Christ, you shouldn't be getting back to that as if that's the normal. What revival does is show you a glimpse of what heaven's normal looks like, i.e., hint, book of Acts, and then some. And then when we begin to experience that, then I think because what some people do is that when they think of revival, they think, oh, you're going to do these meetings, you're going to do this, this, that, and the other. And God is saying, no, I've got so much more in store for the end-time church. So how do I know revivals? I hope I build somewhat of a case. But what I'm seeing is a hunger for the more and a people of God that won't settle for the less. And as far as hell is concerned, that spiritual hunger that's going to unprecedented levels is a ticking time bomb that frightens the devil of what could erupt in a moment. And I'm convinced on the top of that, there's a divine inspiration ready to fall on us. All right, hold that thought and let me go to this one. There are struggles today. I'm walking your incredibly great mall. <laughs> and the thing that just gripped my heart, and we're just talking to Joe and Jen about it, is that they're having a massive drag show today. The same place that has the Nickelodeon amusement park stuff and all the Lego stuff and all the stuff for kids that some mama and daddy are taking their kids through, and there's this massive jag drag queen. It's going to be a huge thing going on today. And again, I want them to know Jesus. People say, Sean, do you have a problem with witches coming to your meeting? No, I want witches to come to the meeting. Please come, right? I want you to leave a daughter of the Most High God, but I want you here, right? I want, but here is my thing. When that stuff is happening, we've lost the luxury of having a normal Christianity. I got to write, I got to say it one more time. All right, just one more time. I worked hard on this point. When the world has gone that insane off the chart, you and I cannot respond with the by rote religious response of how we reacted before. That our normal, and here is what I think modern day revivalists do they're fighting to raise the baseline of what it means to really go after God. Now, hear me, hear what I'm not saying versus what I am saying. I'm not talking about you working harder. I'm talking about you moving closer to God. I'm talking about you and I coming out of a place of intimacy and proximity and all the things. All right, we had struggles. How many of you know back in the day we had struggles? I know my age myself. Back in the day, okay, if you're younger, you're a younger millennium, millennial, or you're Gen Z, like listen to me like, like as a Gen Xer. Let me listen to me complain for a second. Back in the day, you bought entire albums with songs you didn't even like on it. Right? Man, I got that one. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to put them out there like I was thinking of it. And it only had two songs on the entire album I liked, but I really liked them two albums. And there was no iTunes. There was no Pandora. There was no Spotify. There was no added to your iTunes playlist. Come on, somebody. How many of you had to buy entire albums with songs you didn't even like on it? That was our struggle back in the day. Let me give you another one. Back in the day. You developed entire rolls of pictures with all kind of out of focus. You got somebody's nose hair. You didn't know what you was. There's a picture of the ground. Come on, you developed entire rolls of film for like maybe four good pictures out of the 24, however many you took. How many of you did that? Now, you, you can get instant pictures and you don't have to shake it like a Polaroid. Come on, you can get instant pictures today off your high-definition iPhone. Crazy. All right, here's another one. Back in the day struggle. How many of you know this? Back in the day, if you missed your TV show, right? You missed it, all right? 
You had to wait 15 years for it to come out on DVD. Oh, my God. I'll never see Bonanza for 15 years from now. Haas, Little Joe, the other brother nobody knows. And, like, right? But now you can Netflix beans, you can Hulu, you can all kind of stuff. But at the same time, as we had struggles back in the day that they don't have today, how many of you would have to admit there are struggles today that we did not have back in the day? The attack on the identity of gender the sheer blatantness of anti-Christ, anti-Bible, anti-Christian sentiment. We've come into a generation coming up now. The attack on their identity goes to a whole other level. And so here is now where we arrive. Because I believe that God is setting foot in this region to reclaim territory. And he's reaching deep in your life to pull something out. This is our moment. King Joash. King Joash had a struggle that was unique in his day versus some of the kings perhaps earlier or maybe even later than him. In this particular time, King Joash was the king of God's people, but there was a, a group of people, the Syrians, who often would group with the Aramaeans, and they were terroristic or hostile to God's people. It was in the midst of a crisis that obviously was a nationwide deal because in the midst of it, this king, Joash, who he wasn't, he wasn't a righteous king, he wasn't the worst of kings, but in a time of crisis, being bland simply won't do it, right? Tell somebody, say, say, being bland won't get your breakthrough. Come on, let's touch somebody. Say, being bland won't get your breakthrough. Y'all not doing it. Come on, Minnesota. You got to touch somebody. Say, being bland won't get your breakthrough. Oh, y'all are awesome. Y'all cooperated on that. So the king, I'll give him credit because we're going to pick on him in a moment, so I got to give him credit on the front end. The king goes to Elisha. So give him credit. In the midst of his crisis, at least he knew where to go. I just want you to know I am so glad that I know Jesus in this season. And anybody else excited and, 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 and thrilled, I'm off man. I, I don't even know what I would do if I didn't know Jesus right now. I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be alive. Let's give him credit that in his crisis, he didn't go back to that old club. I'm not talking about the health club. I'm not talking about doing that. I'm do, talking about doing that, okay? He didn't go back to the old bar, the old pipe, the old crack house, the old crystal meth lab. Come on, somebody. In the midst of all of it, even though he's bland, blasé in his expression of going after God, he knew in a crisis, you've got to go. Why does God allow crisis? I think that crisis reveals to us where Christ is. That sometimes it takes a crisis to show you what the real crisis is. The crisis is not the current events. The crisis is an ignored master. Because if you're not, if you, oh, come on. If you get Jesus in your boat, it don't matter how bad the storm is. You got Jesus in your boat, you're going to get to the other side. The crisis is to introduce you that you know where Christ is. Church, we got to get back to prayer. We got to get back to having our own quiet time with the Lord. We're not going to get by with two minutes, you know, a prayer life of what we do when we bless our food. Come on, somebody. Ryan, we got a lot of Christians that don't even bless their food no more. Hey, if you eat fast food, you better bless that E. coli out of your burger. Come on, somebody. I'm trying to help somebody here. Prayer life. Getting alone with God. Reading the word. Getting strong in the spirit is so key. This guy goes to him and he lets us know the severity of what he felt. He said, oh, my master, my master, or my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and the horsemen. 
In other words, there's such a threat from our enemies, it is threatening the national security of our ability to defend ourselves. And so he's kind of like, what do I do? It's often in crisis that God allows us to be tapped on the shoulder for not just deliverance. Because God simply doesn't want to get the devil just to stop doing what he's doing. He wants to turn you from a defensive posture to an offensive posture. And so he goes to him and so, okay, here's what the prophet says. prophet says, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to open the east window and shoot. Okay, here's this key. Syria was east of where King Joash, this blasé mediocre king would be. In our day, when a nation declares war, they sign a declaration of war. It's a stated intent. This scholar, specialist of scripture, and the people that understand ancient history tell us that the declaration of war in that day is you would shoot a ceremonial one arrow in the direction of your enemies. It was a declaration of war. And so here is the beginning of it. All right, you want a breakthrough, but are you willing to war? Are you want a breakthrough, but are you willing to battle? Right? A Christian that runs away from challenges is like a bodybuilder that runs from weights. No definition. If you see somebody who's got some serious pecs, right, biceps, triceps, I'm not just talking about men, come on, <laughs> somebody, I've seen on women too, you know they had to take on some resistances, meaning they had to lift heavier weights to get that level of definition. That I feel like in a time like now, I, we need Christians that have been through some battles. If you've been through some battles, let me just tell you, it is for such a time as this. Fair weather Christianity does not is not the Christianity that receives revivals and breakthroughs and moves of God. It's somebody that's been through some battles. Do we got anybody that's been through any battles in Minnesota? Do we got anybody that's had to fight a little bit of spiritual warfare, spirit, come on, devils, come on, anybody like that? He opens a window and he shoots. And so here's my question. Whatever community you're from, whatever neighborhood you're from, is your neighborhood full of arrows? Have you shot arrows of intercession saying, Lord, I'm coming against su teen suicide. I'm coming against the spirit of addiction. I'm coming against perversion. It's coming against the elementary. Let me tell you what. Your neighborhood ought to be filled with arrows that you're declaring war on what the enemy is doing. Am I right? And so he shot it. And then he says, this is key because you don't get this. You don't get everything else I'm about to say. He says, I want you to strike the ground until you have defeated Syria. One of these kind of older Jewish, particularly a Jewish uh, commentator, co uh, yeah, uh, yeah, it was a comment commentary on the Bible talks about that when a Jewish like rabbi or master would give an opportunity to someone, you, you took them to the hill. Like you weren't trying to be polite and just get a little. In other words, if he says shoot it, you would shoot every arrow you got. You'd go grab other arrows in old Looney Tunes, grab the kitchen sink, throw it out the window. You would do everything you can to let the, first of all, the prophet know that you believed that the authority of prophecy on him was true and that you were demonstrating your hatred towards the enemy. This king stands up. He shoots one arrow, he shoots two arrow, and he stops. And the Bible says that the prophet was angry with him. Okay, let me back up and let's hit this. Number one, I'm going to give him the second thing I'm going to give him credit for because the picking will begin. When he said, go get arrows, at least King Joash knew where his arrows were at. How I many you know some Christians don't even know where their, their weapons of warfare are at? 
Miss Alonzo, baby, what I do with my Bible? I don't even know where my Bible at. I knew I read it there lad, uh, during that COVID thing. You know, hey, hey, you better know Scripture. You better know the, 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 the weapons of your for you got to know, understand the blood, the name of Jesus. You got to understand certain scriptures. Now you can stand against the enemy. Come on, somebody. <laughs> there are people that can do a lot of things for you. They can lay hands on everything else. But there are certain battles they can't fight for you. You're going to have to fight for yourself. You're going to have to learn how to battle. I know I'm not going to get a lot of amen, but I love you enough. My name is Sean Smith, and I love you. I love you enough to tell you, you got to learn to fight on your own. Right? So he shoots three arrows and he stops. And the man of God was angry at him. And bottom line was this. He essentially says, you will only have partial victory. Because basically this whole thing of you shooting three arrows demonstrates you're not ready for revival. You're not ready for your nation. I'm, I'm using revival in a sense of you getting your nation, the oppression broken off your nation. You're not ready for revival because given the test, you only shot half your arrows. He said, you should have shot five or six arrows. You got to shoot three arrows. Why did he shoot three? I was raised inner city Oakland. As I was raised inner city Oakland, my grandma's from, I mentioned last night, she was from the deep south, Dumas, Arkansas, uh, <laughs> All kind of practices my grandma did, but she brought it to the West Coast, to Oakland, California, and I was raised that way. And my grandma, I lived in a tough neighborhood. There was gangs, there were shootings. I lived in an intersection of an alley and a freeway overpass. Uh, there was probably a few nights I didn't hear sirens, gunshots. In fact, my, my wife is from Oregon. I don't think there are two states in the, in the United States of America that share a border that are more dissimilar than, than California and Oregon. They're, they're, it, it, the chicken, is it range-free? Was it given a good life? Was it, and I'm like, is it barbecued? Is it fried? Is it grilled? Like, you know, I, I, that's the only question I'm going to ask. You know, put a little more barbecue sauce on. You know, there's such a difference. But I remember when I first went and stayed and I was meeting my in-laws for the first time, there were all kind of wild animal sounds. I could not sleep that night. If we'd had guns going off and sirens, I'd we had canoes in heat, and that just freaked me out. I'm like, are they going to come in here? Are they going to come in here? You know. My grandma taught me a lot of things, and one of the things she taught me is that a buddy named Ray Ray, Ray Jones, Miss Jones, I'd go over to the house. We all lived in the hood. I lived in an apartment, tenement section. Uh, we, we were po, not poor, po, because when poor people call you poor, you lose your O&R, and, and you don't have $250 to buy a vial from Vanna, so you just got to stay po. We would po. So... My grandma gave me the lecture. This is from, straight from Dumas, Arkansas. My grandma, you know, my, my grandma was a Medea off Diary of a Mad Black Woman without the <laughs> ankle bracelet, but then she got saved, praise God. She says, boy, that's what she called me, but it was affectionate. She said, boy, when you go over Miss Jones' house, Miss Jones is going to ask you, are you hungry? You need to say no. And here's what Miss Jones is going to do. She's going to ask you a second time. She's going to say, are you hungry? You need to say no and just start getting your head moving in this direction because I know you, son, you're a hungry boy. You're going to eat anything. She was right. I was, right? And she said she's going to ask you a third time. And she says, this is what she said. You can say well and make sure you say I'll have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Back in the day in the hood, we would eat spam. I know if you're young, that's unwanted junk mail. But in the hood, it's pink meat. We're not sure where it came from, but it's packed in gelatin. So we ate it. There was a lot of it, Right? And the government was giving away for free, you know. It was like, you eggs, you had spam sandwiches. I hate spam to this day, right? You had too much spam. Unless you're in Hawaii. Hawaii knows how to do spam. Okay, well, anyway, back to the anointing, all right. 
She says, well, you could say spam, you could say peanut butter and jelly sandwich, sardine crackers, but baby, don't eat anything off the oven because here was the understanding. Ray Ray had five or six brothers and sisters. Mr. Jones sometimes would come home. Sometimes he'd go days without coming home. That was just an absentee father thing. But they had limited food and limited budget like we did. So if I ate a portion of their food, that meant somebody else wasn't getting their complete portion. And so a southern hospitality that you wouldn't put them at the deficit. So y'all follow me. So sometimes I would be over Ray Ray's house, and usually when they say it's dinner time, Grandma said, you just need to come home. But I happened to be there too, and Miss, Miss Jones said, boy, she said, are you, she, she must have been from the South too, are you hungry? No. She said, are you hungry? No. She said, do you want something to eat? Well, uh, uh, if you got to, you know, and so I'm kind of going in that direction. Now, fast forward. I give my life to Jesus Christ. I'm in college now. I am a part of a Calvary campus ministry. My Calvary campus pastor is invited to speak in Texas. He brings me along. I'm a student. And so we picked up from the airport. There was an arrangement. I didn't know a lot of the arrangement. I didn't need to. But we're staying with a deacon who happens to be an oil tycoon that is at the church rather than a hotel. So he picks this up. And I, I got a philosophy. There's a difference between rich and wealthy. Rich folks let you know they rich. It's all here, here, here. Wealthy people, they got holy jeans. They got big old dusty cowboy boots. And their estimated worth is $1.3 billion. Okay, see, wealthy, sometimes quiet money is the deeper pockets. That's my observation. Because this dude picked us up. He had holy jeans. He had a hole in his hat looking like Jack can't clamp it. Man, he picked us up. How you boys doing? Did his hat like that. Total Texan thing, right? He gets us in his car. Now, I knew his car was nice. I couldn't even pronounce the car. I'd never seen a car like that. It wasn't no Ford. It wasn't no, you know, like. So, anyway, he drives us, and he drives us up what looks like, once we've driven a while, not a driveway, right? It looked like a like, entire airstrip. I mean, he had a big old driveway, and there's a mansion Bigger than anything I seen back in the day, it was like, yo, MTV Cribs, all right? This is like huge, yo, MTV Cribs, right? And I'm like, whoa, this one is starting to dawn. This guy's got money. And so he goes in, and I'm thinking, oh, man, we're probably staying in his mansion with him. We probably got some rooms. No, he goes and gets a key, drives beyond his mansion, and behind his mansion is another mansion. You know you're wealthy when your mansion has a mini-me mansion. His mansion got a mini-me mansion. He gets the keys. He said, boys, this is where you guys are staying. And so my campus pastor, Donnie, had to go use the restroom. I'm standing there. And so this gentleman, oil tycoon, worth a lot of money, he even has his own plane. He says, uh, Sean, are you hungry? No. Hey, you guys just flew a long ways from, from California out here to Dallas. Are you hungry? No. He asked me a third time, are you hungry? I said, if you have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, this true story, y'all, I'm not even exaggerating. He takes off his hat again and scratches his head, looks at me crazy. He opens up, he got three doors on his refrigerator. That's next level already, right? We had an ice box. You had to have an ice box to know what I'm talking about. When you had to de-thaw your freezer, you didn't have no refrigerator. You had an ice box. We had an ice box, right? Because the ice would build up, couldn't close the door. I know, that's ghetto. All right, here we go. He opens up his three doors on the refrigerator. There's pheasant under glass. There's prime rib. There's stuff I've never seen before. He had a professional chef come in and cook up all these foods, and he's looking at me, 
and he goes over to his cupboard, which I think is just going to be a little door where it be cans. No, he opened it up. It was Sam's Club in there. It was Costco. There's people giving you hors I mean, it was deep, right? He goes all the way to the back, grabs a peanut butter jar so neglected he needed therapy. That's how uh, seldom used it was. He needed a sozo. He grabs the peanut butter, goes in the refrigerator, pushes all the good food, wrestles to get the jelly jar. You know when you haven't eaten jelly and it sticks around? He wrestles it, gets me some bread. And by that time, my campus pastor comes out. He says, I have that prime rib, I have that pheasant, I have that barbecue, I have that. And I sat there with a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And I learned a lesson. You know what the lesson is? Before you make your choice, you need to know what's on the menu. I think there's so many Christians that don't know what's on the menu of heaven for this season. So they think they're left to a future of leftovers. The, the church won't see what she once saw during Azusa Street or during the Jesus People Movement. And because we've not read revival history or the Bible or familiar enough with God's character, that we don't know what's on the menu. And so I felt the Spirit of the Lord says, I would give my church the prime, <laughs> man, sirloin, pheasant under glass. I mean, you think of your best, most expensive. I would give you the finest you know, tri-tip steak, move a God, but you're settling for spiritual peanut butter and jelly sandwiches when the filet mignon of the Spirit is being served. And why does that happen? I got to do it, and I got to do it quick. Good. I'm going to tell you what it is, and I'm going to tell you exactly why I believe a dude shot three times and stopped. This is my take on why King Joash stopped halfway, and I'm, I'm going to shock you with what I'm going to tell you. A poverty spirit. Now listen to me. Although a poverty spirit can affect your finances, I'm not talking about finances. I would imagine that the average income of a Minnesotan, is that what you would say if you're from Minnesota? Particularly those in this, you know, area, Twin City area, I would imagine the money is probably not as much an issue as it is to very many urban centers that Chris and I get to go to. But it's all the more proof that really you can have a poverty spirit and may not immediately have anything to do with your finances. Let me explain what I mean by, notice I said a poverty spirit. I didn't just say not having money. A poverty spirit, I don't want to define it, is simply this, and, and this is so key. A poverty spirit is a spirit that manipulates, blinds, and discourages us from seeking all that God has put in our hearts. Poverty spirit says it would happen for them, but it wouldn't happen for you. It would happen in Pensacola, Florida, but it wouldn't happen in Minneapolis, St. Paul, right, area, or wherever the area that you're from. It wouldn't happen in Minnesota. It's the spirit where people no longer think of the possible blessings, abundance from the Lord, but they camp out in a narrative of disappointment. The verbiage comes out like, oh, man, I wish we were back in the good old days. Man, I wish I was alive to see. And I, sometimes I get it. I would love to be there in the book of Acts. I would love to be there in a Catherine Coleman meeting, a Smith Wigglesworth. I would love to see Mariah Woodworth Edder or go hang with W.J. Seymour at Azusa Street. But guess what? According to what I understand about the Bible, that the closer we get to Jesus' return, that latter glory would be greater than any former glory. Anybody understand the word wave? Come on. A poverty spirit is a spirit that is a stronghold established from keeping God's people from walking in fullness. It causes you to think of the persecution, 
the pushback, the lack of what happened last time. And the enemy almost uses that to keep you from putting your foot to the pedal, to the metal, full throttle, go after God, because the enemy wants to cause you to think that that move of God isn't available to you. It wouldn't happen for you. It wouldn't happen where you're at. And the poverty mentality is God is saying, are you hungry, Church of Minnesota? No, I'm good. Are you hungry for a move of God? No, well, well, maybe I have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, good couple meetings, and God is saying, no, 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 I'm ready to open up the refrigerators of heaven. I'm ready to open up the coffers of glory and pour out on you a blessing that others would have loved to see. Poverty spirit is developed by in years of sitting in lack and sitting in mediocrity. And all of a sudden, you begin to create a belief system around the lack rather than the promise of God. The real crisis, I tell you, the real crisis isn't what you see. It's ignore master. Let me throw in another crisis. The real crisis isn't what they're reporting to you on the news, although it's bad. And we can go down the list. What's going on in Ukraine? What's going on in inflation in this country? What's going on with division? What's going on in the area of, again, all of the perversion, the situations we face, economic, otherwise, The real crisis isn't what you see. Let me tell you what the real crisis is. The real crisis, hear me, even in the balcony, is the gap between my visible reality and what is biblically available. Let me say that again. The real crisis isn't the the current events that you see. The real crisis is the gap between your visible reality and what's biblically available. This was the test for Joash. The, the, The Syrian oppression is your visible reality, but the prophet is there saying there's something biblically available, and are you willing to war to close the gap, or are you just going to live with how things are? He demonstrated a poverty spirit by not battling and saying, God, hey, I'm, one day, I got, we got adult children. One day, I'm going to be a granddad, right? One day. Now, please, don't want to take offense to this. Please, hear me. Hear me. I think it's cool when you're able to retire Winnebago, Leisure World, golf course, experience, you worked hard, enjoy that, all the more. But how many of you know that even if I retire from a profession, I'm not retiring from the battle? How many of you know that? In the world, you retire, they throw a party for you, give you a watch, and forget you in two weeks. Come on. When you retire in the kingdom, that means Jesus took you home. As long as you're here, right, God's got a purpose for you. One day I want to be in a rocking chair, perhaps on a front porch. My little grandson is going to come up to me. He's going to call me G-Daddy. I've already decided he's going to call me G-Daddy. Just sounds a little cooler, all right? G-Daddy. He's going to pull on my, on, my, on my pants. This is an imaginary conversation. Granddaddy, in 2023, when a nation was in the throes of crisis, what did you do? What I don't want to tell him is Daddy played golf and Daddy traveled into Winnebago, and Daddy hit the different campsites and saw this. That's awesome. Please feel free to enjoy those years. But what I want to tell them is if I'm at a, I'm at a golf course and I am in a Winnebago, your granddaddy fasted 
pray that you would inherit a greater nation than what I came up with. That I want to fight devils all the way till this thing is over. I want to bring glory to God at 80, 88. Come on, I know some lethal grandmothers. They will pray you through. I know a lot of these young guys acting like they all tough. No, I know some grandmothers that will pray you. Come on, somebody. And it's not an attack against theology. I I got a master's. But I'm here to tell you, you can have all the, the, I know some theologians that are very dry. Give me a grandma that understands. Come on, man. God's not giving me a spirit of fear, but want a power love and sound mind. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Baby, come over here. Slap some oil on my head and pray me through. I need some folks that know how to battle who are willing to close some gaps. Poverty spirit. I believe hell creates it, and one of his biggest functions is to create a sense of passivity apathy and complacency and in the day there's a lack of spiritual drive at a point in which God has opened up an autobahn of a move of God he shoots three arrows and stops I believe that a poverty spirit (laughs) how do I say this and say it right no place in the Bible that said Jesus was nice he was kind love is patient love is kind I think sometimes, I think we think that nice means we become the welcome mat for anything that's happening and we've just got to openly tolerate and not say anything and we've, we've allowed cancel culture to shut the prophetic voices that God has given you. And I'm telling you, if there's ever a time to stand, you're on, oh, please, Lord, let me say it with all humility, we will find ourselves on the wrong side of history if we're silent when we must prophesy. We must declare the word of the Lord. This joker shoots one, two, three, and stands there like he did something. Now I'm going to do this right now, and yes, okay, perfect. Four minutes. There's one part of Scripture we read that fast forward. We're in this point in history. Just get finished shooting three arrows, stops. Man of God is sad. He's only going to get partial victory, which means he'll live with partial defeat. He pushed back the enemy a little, but historically the enemy and Syrians would come back. Fast forward this. Back there, Elijah was not well. He's dead at this point. His bones are in an open hole. And if I can get the worship team to come. The nation of Israel are in a funeral procession. They got, we just call him Bob. Bob died. Oh, man, Bob died. We love Bob. Man, Bob is gone. What are we going to do? Oh, man, Bob, he's such a good dude. They're in a funeral procession. And all of a sudden, raiders jump out. And come on. Can you imagine the quagmire, the conundrum? You got to shift from being in grief mode to fight mode. Come on, church. We're grieving that we lost something in COVID, and we did. I lost my mom during that year. We lost stuff, but I'm telling you, sometimes you got to go from the grief mode back into battle mode, and sometimes it's got to happen like this. Oh, come on. I got a sister doing me some come on over here. So they, they bereave over Bob, and all of a sudden, they throw Bob in a hole. Hey, he dead. He ain't going to feel this. Bam, they threw him in a hole. They start fighting. But what they don't know is that when Bob hit Elijah's bones, hold that thought. For the record, my vote for the baddest man in the Old Testament, not Solomon, although when you can take a jawbone of a donkey and wipe out ISIS of your day, you bad. I'm not talking about morally bad. I'm talking about lethally bad. My vote for the baddest man in the Old Testament is Elijah because when you can raise the dead after you dead, you bad. They threw Bob on the dead bones of Elijah. I want to see this YouTube in heaven. 
dead Bob, hit it, and he, boom. Bob says, Bob revived. I, it's not in scripture. This is Sean Smith thought. Bob charged in battle because he got to fight too. Charge! How many of you know Israel won that battle that day? Because you got a dude that came back from the dead. Everybody in the camp is feeling pretty invincible at this point. But now let's rewind it. Here is the bones. He's been dead so long, it's just bones. But his bones could bring revival. Now, that was a fast forward. I'm sorry, I said rewind. We fast forwarded. Now we rewind. The Bible says that right before the dude shot three times and stopped, says Elijah put his hands on him. Now, stop. If you're in a movie, you just put it on pause. Here's a king that didn't know you're in the room with revival, and revival's reaching out to you. And as revival's reaching out to you, Christian, you're only going to shoot three arrows? You're only going to kind of not go to a place of abandonment? You're just going to punch the clock, put in the time, do the, the road thing, and not go all out when entire nation's on the line? You let an old poverty spirit come up and said, well, man, if you really go on fire, you know what the devil did last time. Oh, this is going to get bad. If you really try to do this, or man, we had that revival stuff. It stopped after a year and what. And you're going to let all those things stop you when, remember, this prophet's bones bought revival. Now he's still alive putting his hands on you. And here's what I'm saying to you. You're in a room with revival right now. And let me take it another step. Revival's reaching out for you. It's time to empty the quiver. That window that was open before him, what he did not know, Linda Ravenhill told me this personally because I spent a weekend with Brother Lynn before he went to be with the Lord. He's one of my great heroes. And he said to me and a friend of mine who pastors Times Square Church right now in New York, he says to, to us, he says, Tim and Sean, listen to me. He says, the opportunity of a lifetime must be seized within the lifetime of opportunity. What if there is a window in America right now? What if Asbury was prophesying to us about the fires that await someone that will gather? What if the popularity of the Jesus Revolution movie that was delayed, it was supposed to come out a long time ago, but it comes out right as Asbury, and I don't think that that was a coincidence. Could it be that God is bringing us full circle? He didn't tell him how many arrows to shoot. He didn't say, shot till you destroyed him. The dude shot three times when he should have emptied the quiver. So what does it tell me? I close. It was not a quiz of compliance. It was a test of the chest. If it was a quiz of compliance, shoot two arrows, shoot three arrows, shoot four arrows, or in this case, shoot five or six arrows. Okay, boom, 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 boom. It wasn't a quiz of compliance. It was a test of the chest. How bad? You say you want to move. How bad? Now, okay, I came to exhort but this one challenge with a little err to it. It's one thing as believers to cry out with what's wrong. I see a lot of people, the majority of their social media is what's wrong. Call out this group, call out that group, call out that. And I get it, and, and let's be biblical, and I just got finished saying earlier, let's use our voice. But on the flip side, let's just say it. Sinners going to sin. Haters going to hate. Sinners going to sin. Until we get them to Jesus, in terms of isolating a particular, I'm not talking about coming against a spirit or coming against a behavior or coming against whatever. I'm talking about coming against certain individuals. And I see so many people spend so much time crying out 
against that evil person. And this is what I think. Elijah on the mountain, now we were talking about Elisha, but now we're talk, I'm talking about his mentor, Elijah. He didn't just cry out against the false prophets. He cried out for the fire of God to fall. So here's what I'm saying. It's not enough just to cry against the evil if you're not crying for an outpouring of his spirit and crying out for the fire to fall. Our test is are we going to shoot the two or three arrows of complaining about what's wrong and crying out against these individuals, I can't believe that group. I can't believe that political party. I can't believe this officer, this president, this, 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 that. Christians, don't waste your weaponry or shoot beyond that because the real enemy is not that person. The enemy is the one manipulating that person. So they're not the enemy. They're captives of the enemy, and we're called to set them free. Let me just say this. Okay, we will bow our heads. You don't have the luxury to complain against darkness when you're in the lighting business. You've lost that luxury to end the, the, the demonstration of your Christianity. It's just crying out of what's wrong. If you're not lighting a light, you can't complain about the darkness. I want you guys to bow your heads. Jesus, Lord, we just thank you, God. Lord, I hope I did more than just run across the stage and scream and holler. I do get excited. I'm, how do I say this? I'm hyper, but I'm not a hype. Hype means a person makes promises they can't deliver, and they over-emotionalize something that can never become a reality for you. I'm not hype, but I am hyper, particularly when it comes to this subject. Very passionate. But I feel like the Lord is calling you to a spirit of abandonment, Minnesota. I've been here enough that I kind of feel like it's a part home. And can I say this? We're not going to see revival breakthrough with a Midwest nice mentality. We could be Midwest nice to one another, but in the realm of the Spirit, we need you to be a soldier. Come on, somebody. We need you to empty the quiver. We need you to begin to cry out as if your voice could tip heaven. We need you to begin to live a life of such abandonment to God and His purposes. And, and pardon me, I get emotional over this because I see a generation and my fight is to give them a reference point of what I was blessed to see in terms of moves of God, micro moves of God, but it, it, it how would I say, it ruined me for status quo, normal, run-of-the-mill, just religious, come to a service, sit in a pew, stand up, put a buck in a plate, sit back down and walk out and never, and say amen to truths I never intend to implement in my life. That is not Christianity. You don't want it. I don't want it. It doesn't change you, and it certainly won't change the world you're called to. It's a thing that says, God, whatever you got to do in me, as a hand is reaching for revival, I'm picking up arrows and I'm shooting, every, I'm putting everything out the window. It's time, church. Lord, I just thank you, God, all across this place. As the worship team begins to sing, I want you to lovingly begin to tell. This isn't, I, if, if the Holy Spirit's leading you to an inventory moment, do it. But I believe it's more of a moment of you telling the Lord, you got, you got all of me, Lord. You, I mean, you got all of me, God. And I'm coming to empty a quiver. The quiver is your heart right now. That I'm, 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 not, I'm a sick shooting Christian. Come on, if you're, there's a difference of shooting for a break and shooting for a breakthrough. If you're aiming for a break, you shoot three arrows. But if you're aiming for a breakthrough, you gotta empty your quiver. We need some empty the quiver Christians right now. And I want you to just begin, as they begin to worship and sing, would you just stand on your feet?